Thank you, girls, for leading us in worship. Appreciate your ministering. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for artists who sing, who um, write the songs, for artists who play the songs. We thank you that we have a heart to sing to you and to sing about your goodness and that you are so great and loving that there's no end to songs that praise you. So, Father, we just uh, pray now that you would guide our minds and hearts through the scriptures so that we could learn more of you, about you, and share with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, the road to victory is a title that has been given and could be given to a lot of stories of success, especially where someone starts down so low and with so many odds against them and they just kind of climb to the top and overcome the obstacles. You know, from military victories to winners of tough elections to sports champions to someone rising up from poverty and achieving great things with almost no background to come from. And those stories are pretty inspiring. I was listening to the story of Kim Meter, maybe some of you have heard of her. At nine years of age, her father killed her mother, shot her mother, then shot himself dead. And so at nine years of age, she lost both her parents in a tragic incident. And she found healing in Jesus Christ as Christ was shared with her. And then she found emotional comfort in a pet horse. And she really bonded with that horse. And it led to later on that she and her husband have this horse ranch and they adopt herding, you know, uh, injured horses, horses that people can't use or don't want to use. And they adopt those horses and they build them back up. And then they bring children in that are hurting and abused or whatever. And they bond with these horses and it really ministers to them. And so <clears throat> there's somebody who came from, you know, horrible circumstances and now is ministering to others <clears throat> in very real ways. But now I want to show you a, an even more spectacular road to victory even than Kim Meters. And this road to victory will be our Easter sermon series for these next few weeks. But this one is from the lowest depths ever to the greatest heights ever. And it's going to be part of our victory also. It can be part of our victory and it will be part of our victory. And it begins with a religious festival. But right off the bat, this religious festival includes a, a, an element of evil, pure evil. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. And I'm going to start with the first six verses. But Luke chapter 22. 
and we're coming near the end of Jesus' life on earth. And when Jesus gets his disciples together for this time, you know, he's giving them their last instructions in a sense while he's alive before he goes to the cross. So he's giving them some very important information and they're doing, he's doing with them what they need at this time, very crucial knowledge and, and experience. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. And what they mean by that, they wanted to find some way to get rid of him without the people attacking them for trying to do that. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when there was no crowd present. So this was the time of year that the Jews celebrated Passover, an annual celebration. And it was a feast where they commemorated the time when God led them out of Egypt. And those who put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, God passed over them and did not kill anybody in their family. But the Egyptians, every Egyptian household lost the firstborn son. And so it decimated their country because the firstborn, everything came to the firstborn, and the firstborn would lead the family. But every Egyptian family lost their firstborn son. The firstborn son was killed, and every, every doorpost that had the blood of the lamb was saved. And this is when Judas decided to betray Jesus during this Passover celebration decided to betray him to his enemies by telling them that he would be able to make it so that they could arrest him without the crowds being around. So now let's continue on here, verses 7 through 13. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. <clears throat> now, it's clear that no one knows where Jesus has chosen to celebrate the Passover. Even his disciples didn't know, right? Because they were just going to go see some guy carrying water, and they're going to ask him to take them to his master's house. So evidently, Jesus probably knew the homeowner and made arrangements Previously, but no one else would know where they were celebrating the Passover. 
Now, of course, the crucial thing about that is that Judas didn't know where they were going to celebrate the Passover, and he had already made plans with the religious leaders to turn Jesus over. And you can imagine if he would have known, the authorities would have been waiting at that house. So Jesus very cleverly, wisely chose a place, and no one knew where it was going to be. But now we're going to go into the house the house that Jesus made pre-arrangements for. And he has something very interesting to tell them at the beginning in verses 13 through 15. I read that already. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, this Passover, this year, is the one I've been longing for for a long time. Now, why that one? He says, because... This is going to be the last Passover before we celebrate the glorious new Passover in the coming kingdom of God, in the eternal kingdom of God, where things will be so much different, and the Passover celebration will will find its total fulfillment in this one that we have in the new kingdom. It will be the wedding feast of the Lamb, the feast in which this Passover finds its ultimate meaning. It will be a victory banquet celebrating the king of all the earth. And it will be a kingdom of righteousness and peace. Everything in that kingdom will be as it should. And the ruler will be a righteous, peaceable ruler. And all who belong to Jesus will be a part of this unbelievable kingdom. You know, many people today... They'll say they can't believe in God because they see suffering going on. They see misjustice going on. They see corruption. They see people being mistreated. They see the helpless. But you know what they're longing for? They're longing for this coming kingdom. That's where they got to put their trust. They got to long for this coming kingdom that Jesus is talking about. But you know what? They don't understand the road to victory. They don't understand what it takes to be a part of this kingdom. And they want to do things their own way. And when they see things, they just want to complain. But they don't understand what it takes to put their trust in God and what God, and to realize that God knows way more than we do. And we can't explain everything we see, but we know that God can and will. But only those who put their trust in God will find this this kingdom of righteousness. And the pathway to it is humility. He doesn't, you don't come to God through cursing him and saying he doesn't know how to run the world. That's just the wrong way, the wrong pathway. It's not the road to victory. So Jesus is with his disciples saying that he is about to enter into much suffering. 
I wanted to celebrate this Passover with you before I suffer. And this Passover meal, which looks back to God's deliverance of his people from Egypt, from slavery, he says, will find its ultimate fulfilling in the coming kingdom of Christ, of God. Then we will see righteousness prevail, and all things will be as they should. But between now and then, the road to victory is not going to be completely paved or smooth, right? I mean, we go through suffering to enter the kingdom. Paul said that. Now, look at verses 17 through 23. This is an example. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. Take this and each of you share in it. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. That's a shocking statement. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. So Jesus has told them or mentioned to them about the coming glorious kingdom of God. But there is a price that has to be paid before the coming of the kingdom. And it's the price for the payment of sin, isn't it? Jesus is going to pay the price for our sins, for the sins of all mankind, by offering his beaten body, by offering his shed blood, so that we will have eternal life in that glorious coming eternal kingdom. Jesus pays the price, and we're going to reap the benefits. And we have to be connected to him. We have to be part of him. And that bread represents his broken body, The cup represents Jesus' blood, which is poured out for them, he said. All in all, his death will pay the price for mankind's sin. And that is certainly great news, isn't it? I mean, that's the only news we could could hope for. It's the only news that could save us. But here's the unbelievable part. You know, he mentions it right in this. He says, that the betrayer of the Son of God, the one who will make it possible for his enemies to capture him away from the crowds, is actually one of his twelve. One of whom Jesus poured his life into. One of whom Jesus allowed to have the greatest privilege of being close to the very Son of God himself. Only 12 got that much of a privilege. One who was able to listen to his teachings and hear his wisdom. One who was able to witness him giving himself to others in selfless love. 
He lived in close proximity to the ones that thousands flocked to hear and see and touch. <clears throat> and this one chooses to betray him for money. To turn away from the absolute greatest treasure there could be for a pittance that he ended up just throwing on the ground anyway. And Jesus says it has to happen. He says it was decreed by God. The Son of Man will go as has been decreed. It has been decreed that the Son of Man would be betrayed or that he would be handed over to be killed. Yet, he says, woe to that man who does the betrayal. That might be hard to put together. <clears throat> but here's what I think. That tells me that God is orchestrating the whole big plan. God is guiding the ship. He sent his son to become a human being. He chose his son's earthly parents. He caused the miraculous virgin conception. He put certain people in certain places <clears throat> who made their own decisions. They had to decide whether they will obey God or turn away from him. You know, different people decided in different ways. Of course, Elizabeth and Mary, they were excited to follow the will of God. Zechariah, not so much at first, right? But he turned. Judas, not going to do it. But the road to victory is, is, <clears throat> is laid out. It's mapped by God. It's all set up. It's filled with God's love. But there are often rough spots in the road to victory. And almost any road to victory has rough spots in it. But it's our choice whether we take it or not. So 11 of the apostles are choosing God's road to victory. Jesus is choosing God's road to victory. And Judas is rejecting God's road to victory. The Son of Man had to be crucified to bring us the forgiveness of sins. And he had to be betrayed. But Judas freely chose his part. And you know, this also highlights the degree of suffering that Jesus was willing to endure to save us, to bring us forgiveness of sins. Because he endured the betrayal of a, a close companion. And I'm sure they had a friendship. And he was betrayed by one who poured himself, he, him, who he poured himself into. <clears throat> so here we have Jesus celebrating the very Passover meal that he longed to celebrate. He'd been waiting for this one. He said, because the next time he celebrates it, it will be the fulfillment of all Passover meals in the eternal kingdom of God. The kingdom wherein Christ reigns supreme and righteousness rules thoroughly. <clears throat> but you know, at some point in their time together that day, a certain subject came up for discussion. 
Now, with all that Jesus had said and all that they knew him for, you can imagine the subject would be something, you know, profitable, something about the kingdom, something about following God, something, you know, that would just fit in with what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is talking about dying and giving his life and pouring out his blood. So let's see what they say in verses 23 to 26. Well, 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. That wasn't what we expected, was it? Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. That was just a, a term of a certain kind of a leader or political ruler. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And you know, young, young wasn't really valued. Youth wasn't valued so much. It was the older, wiser. And the one who rules like the one who serves. <clears throat> so what is Jesus saying here? One thing he is saying is that the world has it backwards as far as greatness is concerned. And the apostles were actually falling right along with the world at this point. The apostles were concerned with who would have the best position in the kingdom. You know, when he talks about greatness, you know, we heard or we've seen in another gospel where John and James go up and ask, Can I sit at your right hand? Can I sit at your left hand? One gospel says the mother does it. The other one doesn't mention the mother, but we know it's the same thing. And that would be the two positions of the highest power next to the king. Right? Right hand, left hand. There's two top men, two top people. And so it says in those passages that the other apostles became indignant when James and John asked if they could sit right and left hand and I'm thinking they became indignant because they didn't think of doing it first but Jesus is saying that is not kingdom greatness and what I mean by that is that's not the way to achieve kingdom greatness by seeking glory for ourselves and you know it's so natural for us to want admiration, isn't it? I mean, we want people to appreciate us. We like people to recognize something we do. It's fun when somebody's impressed with something we do. Who doesn't like praise? Who doesn't want to be highly thought of? Who doesn't want to win awards and have people notice? And how cool would it be to be known as the best at something. And so you have these world-class, in our day, these world-class actors and athletes, musicians, billionaire business owners, and people lift them up and exalt them to no end. They know how to fix climate change because they got money. 
They know all answers to all moral questions because they're billionaires. But you look at them with admiration and you think, wow, what would it be like just to be like that, just to have that money, just one day. And then Jesus says here, but I am among you as one who serves. Who's the greatest? The one sitting at the table or the one serving at the table? He goes, isn't it the one that sits and waits to be served? He goes, but I am here as one who serves. And so we have the very Son of God. Now, we name some pretty important positions, you know. <clears throat> you know, people that had high positions in our world and people look up to them. But nobody comes close to the Son of God. <laughs> the eternal Son of God who became God in the flesh the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. The Bible says that he holds all things together. And he came to serve and even to offer his life as a ransom for us. We who didn't deserve eternal life and he who was eternal life gave his life for us. And so he tells them, the one that's sitting there is the one who's most honored. But I came not to sit. I came to serve. So Jesus is telling his disciples, as we go on here, who is greater, the one who is at the table, the one who serves? It's not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. And look what he says here, <clears throat> what he, what he bring, how he brings them into this. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus is basically saying, don't worry about, you know, gathering up so much honor here. Or how much you can lift yourself up on this earth. He goes, don't seek such praise and honor here. While you're here, be a servant. While you're here, serve others. Look to the needs of others. Help others. He says, give of ourselves. Don't seek fame and glory for ourselves. Just seek to help others so they can be helped, so they can... Learn to serve. See how much we can imitate Jesus in serving others. And then we will be rewarded in such a greater way, won't we? He says, I confer on you a kingdom. So he's talking to his disciples, those who just stayed with him. And they weren't rewarded very much on the earth. In fact, they all died. Most of them, almost every one of them died a horrible death. You know, staying with Christ and gave up a lot to stay with Christ. But now he says, and I confer on you a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table. And you will rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus wants us to place our treasures in the future kingdom, doesn't he? That means be servants here. 
and reap our rewards in the eternal kingdom. We can take a reward here and then it'll just be what it is. Or we can put it up in heaven and it'll be so much greater. We need to keep our sights on the coming kingdom. That's where we will reap 60-fold, 100-fold, 1,000-fold. You know, there's an old saying. <clears throat> I'm sure many of you have heard this. But it says, some people are so heavenly-minded that there are no earthly good. Well, I disagree with that statement. I believe those who keep their focus on the eternal coming kingdom of Christ and place their treasures there, I believe they are earthly great. I believe that our hope in heaven will line us up here on earth and will tell us what's most important and will show us that we can serve and not, not lose anything but gain. I believe that it's our hope in heaven that allows us to endure when trials come. I believe it's our hope in heaven that sets things just the way they are. We understand that this is this important and this is this important. So I think those that are heavenly minded are great on the earth. You know, every road to victory has rough spots in it. Every road to victory has suffering in it. Even the things that we see here on earth, roads to victory. And Jesus gave up the most, and he suffered the greatest. And he's going to have the highest position throughout eternity. And he will reign in complete splendor and glory. <clears throat> when the apostles were on that mount of transfiguration, and Jesus just started shining, and the wind was blowing, and it was just overwhelming to them. That's what Jesus is going to look like when he returns and when he reigns. The apostles suffered greatly, and they will have some of the, the, the most special positions in the kingdom. And Judas gave it all up for a puny bag of silver coins that he just ended up smashing on the ground. He chose the road to destruction and eternal loss. His sight was so, so short-sighted. He was so short-sighted. And today, people have that same view. They want things the way they want them right now. But Jesus is offering us, if we take the road to victory, he's offering us an eternal kingdom of riches and glory and fulfillment and serving the king of kings and seeing God face to face. But he has laid out that road of victory for us. And it's his road we must follow. And you know, this really isn't our time to reign as kings, is it? The more we accept that down here, the more we will reign up there. Or, I don't want to say up there in the new earth. We are not to be seeking to have others serve us, 
It is great when we're helped, but that isn't our goal on our road to victory, is it? Jesus came as a servant, and he was the son of the living God. The eternal son of the living God, who had no beginning, and he came to serve. So, we aren't here to seek praise for ourselves. We are here to help others praise God. And when we suffer or don't receive what we feel we deserve, remember, that's part of the road to victory. And we will be a part of that eternal, glorious kingdom. And we won't have made that ridiculous, disastrous choice to trade in the eternal kingdom for a puny bag of silver. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel, the gospel record, recordings, the gospel accounts. We thank you for how much they teach us. We thank you that we have accounts of the very Son of God and the way he lived and the way he taught in his teachings. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us focus our attention on the eternal kingdom ahead and not be seeking praise and glory here, but be storing our treasures in heaven. I thank you for every person here and pray that we may make big differences in many people's lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.